Welcome inside 254. Let's close the office door and start the conversation. The talk around the table today is our myth-busting episode about Native Americans or indigenous peoples. And some of you may be wondering why two white settler girls are doing an episode on this. And I will tell you the reason why is because I see a lot of indigenous writers, scholars, artists, activists getting asked these really basic questions. And it's not fair to have them have this emotional, practical knowledge labor laid at their feet to identify and verify who they are and their identities and, you know, validate their existences. That's not that's not their job. And I just see them getting asked a lot of questions in public domains. And I I wanted to try to uh, just take on some of that work. I mean, I, my scholarly specialty is indigenous, contemporary indigenous rhetoric. So it's the way indigenous writers, scholars, artists make meaning. But the, I see a lot of really basic questions. And when we put out the call for, you know, what are your questions? What is, what is it you have in your head that you think you know? We did get some response. And I actually recently gave a presentation at our campus that resulted in a few more questions. And I have sort of curated that list and come up with six basic questions to start with. And I think it's good you're reminding listeners that you've dedicated your scholarly life to bringing these voices to light, bringing these voices into the classroom. So even if you are not identified or a part of the community, you're not appropriating voice, you're trying to amplify. And those are two different things. You're not going to, we are not going to um, at all pretend like we understand this experience, but we are scholars and we know how to read and we know how to take information and we want to do some of the heavy lifting that so to make space for indigenous scholars to do the hard work that they want to do instead of spending their time answering questions that have been answered. And so that's what we're doing. We're kind of collating this into one episode that you can use almost as a primer for those questions that might come up in a classroom or in conversation or in your own, you know, social media feed or your own life. And I will also say that I am deferring when I pull quotes and I'll say where I got the information, but I am deferring in every situation, not only to my own knowledge on the subject, but also to um, indigenous writers and scholars and people who are, you know, doing, I'm trying to defer to, I'm trying to pass the mic in a sense to those right. indigenous voices that are already out there and I'm I'm deferring to them so I'm trying to I guess be a conduit mm-hmm. for that information to get out there to a broader audience because mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about um, indigenous peoples that is still very much with us in our sort of modern American culture and I really want to try and fight that and improve it. So let's start with some of the questions. So I have six questions Mm -hmm. that um, summarize what we've been asked. So first, are Native peoples, right? And notice I'm saying peoples, right? Mm -hmm. Are Native peoples still here? And the answer, the short answer is yes. And you've done a great job of helping me understand that as well. So tell us more. Native peoples are still very much with us. I think there's a big assumption in our culture and even in our education system that Native peoples are peoples of the past. We have relegated them very often to this static position as uh, cultures that are no longer here, peoples that are no longer alive. And they very much are alive and thriving, not just surviving the genocide that was committed by our government oh so many years ago. And there continues. And continues. Yeah. So colonization is something that remains. So I know you're a post-colonial right. scholar. <laughs> yes, we've talked about this, that America it's not post-colonial, is it's not, colonial. It yeah. is not in a post-colonial state. Indigenous peoples in this land remain colonized. And we, I'm looking at my mm-hmm. partner here, we're part of the problem because we're benefiting from that early and ongoing colonization. So, you know, every every argument, every position, it's all framed in our culture by colonization, right? And it and it's about disparaging and 
delegitimizing and diminishing and erasing indigenous presence and people. And so it really is an uphill battle (laughs) to try and reverse that, but it's a battle worth fighting. So I found there's a book that was written by Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz and Dina Giglio Whitaker, I hope I pronounced her last name right, called All the Real Indians Died Off and, and 20 Other Myths About Native Americans. It came out in 2016, and it was reviewed by Paul Willetto for the Tribal College Journal of American Indian Higher Education. So mm. just let's take a, a moment here. That, that journal exists. Let's take a moment here and realize that not only do not only are Native Americans, indigenous peoples here still here, there are tribal colleges, and there is a scholarly journal dedicated to, dedicated to their work, American yeah. Indian higher education. So there's layers of experience and reality that I think a lot of us just don't know is there. So this book that Dunbar Ortiz and Julia Whitaker wrote tries to do some of that work to help people understand what Willetto writes. He said, this book critically deconstructs persistent and annoying myths and stereotypes about American (laughs) Indians. The authors analyze what are imagined mythologies and then reconstruct what are the facts from those imagined mythologies. To use the author's own words, this book is a call to action to envision a better future for everyone, Indian and non-Indian alike. It's well-researched. And some of the samples of the myths that are addressed in this book. I already want to read this book I, and yeah. teach it and yeah, scream about it. I was thinking <laughs> this, this would be like a, great a really book. Great, great book for your class. This would be a really but great book But there are too to many. Right, There's yeah. so many. But myth That's num- a good problem. Mm-hmm. Myth number three is Columbus discovered America. <sighs> okay. Which you have written beautifully about for teaching tolerance if anybody needs to go read that. But go ahead. Thank you. This is, so that's one of the myths. And, and Willetto writes, when in reality he was a lost and self-described perpetrator of genocidal acts who was elevated to a first-class folk hero with a national holiday in his name. Not um, in my kids' school. Nope. Thank so God. myth number 16 imagines Indian casinos as an economic and political threat analogous to the 19th century Indian threat. Myth 19 is that Indian women are princesses or squaws, revealing a sexist, racist, and imagined view of Native women. So not only are Native peoples still very much with us, um, there are books and blogs and <laughs> websites where you can go to learn about real indigenous peoples who are living here today so yes so, so i just had long a, answer a flashback i've to- i totally forgot about this but when i was in elementary school our local y had this indian princesses program do you know anything about that i was so jealous because no. i didn't get to go no but it was kind of like girl scouts but it was called indian princesses as soon as you said that my i had like a madeleine moment and i remembered that i'm gonna have to or if any of our listeners remember that, I would love to, or if any of you were in it, because I've forgotten completely about that, but it was like a, they had an Indian princess dance, and I was so jealous, but just imagine like now, that was in the 80s, imagine now, like a, at least we've come a little way, Yeah, to, not far, we, we've <laughs> only moved the needle a millimeter. So the second question is, yes. are natives all the same? Okay, and so this, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. At present, and I apologize if I get this wrong, my research, I've looked this up, I believe, based on what research I did this morning, I believe there are 567 federally recognized tribes in the United States Mm -hmm. today. So not counting, like, Canada. Not counting Canada, not counting Central America, South America, and also not counting those Native peoples who are not in federally recognized tribes, but who are very much culturally and community-based members of maybe their nation. So it's it's a complicated... It's a complicated question. It's a complicated question. But that Um, shows the diversity of experience. Another thing that, that I wanted to just bring up briefly in relation to this issue as to whether all Native peoples are the same. No, they're not. So not only are there unique... Uh, tribal cultures, they all have their own cultural practices, ceremonies, belief systems, um, creation mythologies, languages, d- languages, day-to-day life, um, governmental, gender, gender roles, gender role, yeah, like familial life ways, mm-hmm. food ways. I mean, the, every Native American nation has its own 
it has its own identity. So we as settlers tend to conflate all Native peoples into one right. massive group of people, and they are very much not. The so, ceremony phenomena of essentialism, you know, like the kind of, I've read this one book, and so now I know everything about na all Native Americans. Right. So I did want to bring up the idea of language. So indigenous language mm. did once flourish um, along with indigenous peoples in this land, but they still continue, the indigenous languages still continue to account for a large portion of the nation's linguistic diversity. I found this article on babbel.com. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a language um, learning app. Mm -hmm. And this... Uh, oh, I wonder if they have... I don't know. Oh, okay. I haven't looked. Oh, but something that's in this article, and it's a very long article. It's called um, What Was and What Is Native American Languages in the U.S.? So if you want to, it's a very long article. So I only like printed off a couple yeah, of pull yeah. quotes. But it, it talks about sort of how did we get here and, hmm. and you know, the history of native languages and what's been happening to them. The couple points that I wanted to make, the Columbia Encyclopedia cites a widely accepted estimate that there were more than 15 million speakers of over 2,000 indigenous languages spoken across the entire Western Hemisphere at the time of Columbus's arrival. Hmm. And according to the Indigenous Language Institute, there were once more than 300 indigenous languages spoken in what we now know as the United States, and approximately 175 remain today. Mm -hmm. They also estimate that without restoration efforts, there will be at most 20 still spoken in 2050. Mm. Now, one of my own personal experiences was um, I had the uh, honor of doing some research with um, and about the Osage Nation mm -hmm. who are located in Oklahoma. And when I went and visited with the cultural center director there, it was back when I was working on my dissertation, I had the, she directed me to their, um, their language program director. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the nations, the Osage Nation, that, is, that has a language reclamation program where they are actively um, having their fluent speakers, their native speakers of their original Osage language, write down, like create a syllabary, create an alphabet, create the language in written form so that they can then teach newer, younger, different members of the community mm -hmm. their language because they feel that their language and their culture are synonymous, so they're mm -hmm. the same. So if you lose your language, uh, many Native peoples believe if you, if you lose your original language, you lose part of your culture too. Well, if you believe so. in the idea that we create our being and meaning through language, then that makes perfect sense. I was just out in the Pacific Northwest at the Whatcom Museum and they had a large exhibit and some of it had had language, right? So I was with my daughter and you could like press a button and hear different languages, um, how to say hello and in, in these tribal languages. But part of the exhibit was about the reclamation projects happening in high schools. So that, you know, really fun interactive moment was connected to a small exhibit about how important language is. So I just really liked how they brought that in and I know we could do a whole other episode on museums and representations and we should probably do that because we've talked a lot about that but in that moment it was really cool for her to even be exposed to the idea that uh, people in the United States speak different languages other than Spanish and English that she's aware of so I really liked that they that they did that as part of the the hands-on exhibit for kids one more point so related to that I and and that's great that there are I think museums, and you're right, I think we could talk about we could. the issues of representation in a museum. However, that actually sounds super cool. You would like, have liked it. I was like the whole great. time, I was like, oh, Amanda would be totally okay with this exibit. It was done actually right. Because usually yeah. I go into museums and I'm just stink-eyeing the whole thing. Yeah. Like, Save it for another episode, me. I know. Oh my here. God. <laughs> but this, um, one, of the <laughs> one of the citations in this Babel article was Greg Anderson, director of Living Tongues, and... Um, he told the National Geographic in 2009 that only five language families exist in Oregon today, um, compared to 14 language families in Oregon 200 years ago. So with the loss of languages, all kinds of, you know, these wonderful things that speakers did with their languages have vanished, like great works of oral literature, multilingual performances, dances that accompany those stories 
knowledge, local knowledge of flora, fauna, um, ecosystem management, local place names, spiritual values, on and on and on. And he says they, they all become submerged, altered, or gone because the original languages that express these concepts are gone or no longer well understood. So right. it's really sad. So very long, complicated answer to new. No, all so native peoples are not the all same. Native peoples all the same? No. no. And uh, do native peoples all speak the same language? No. no. So question three is, who gets to be considered Native American? Who counts? Right. So this, quotes. yeah, this this was an issue that came up. Thank I, you, Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> about disenrollment, sort of this idea that I think, I think one of our listeners had asked this. I believe this person might be um, indigenous. Mm-hmm. And they were asking about this idea, wanting us to talk about this idea of disenrollment. And I will preface what is this. that? I will preface this by saying I am not a legal expert right. in indigenous okay. issues. That is not my area of expertise. And that expertise exists. It does. And I think that's like another thing, like you mentioned, the journal, yeah. right, bringing to light that these, these apparatuses exist. Mm-hmm. It's just that they've been ignored. So there, yeah. there are people who do focus on that kind of law. So we are not those people. However, in order to at least acknowledge it and maybe direct you to some sources um because i've never heard this term disenrollment right so So what is this it's a problem disenrollment um one indigenous activist on twitter called it a virulent form of colonialism meant to displace and disparage our people so this is indigenous people Mm -hmm. doing this to themselves Oh, okay. Um, so you're like literally taking somebody off the quote roll. Right. So oh. there was a, a grassroots uh, social media movement launched um, within the last couple of years uh, called hashtag stop disenrollment. And if you go on Twitter, you can you know put the hashtag stop disenrollment in and you can still see there the most recent, I believe the most recent tweets I've seen with images of people, indigenous peoples with stop disenrollment on their hands and things like mm. that and commentary about it were from uh, February, but I didn't really dig too deeply, but it's still active. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still going on. And the whole point of this movement was to stop disenrollment, which is when a tribal government throws out its own members. Okay, so so, uh, my brain goes, why would you do that? Why would you do that? So here's, here's an article I found by Anna Pulley on Splinter News. And she talks about how it's becoming increasingly routine um, for tribal governments to do this. And there's... uh, myriad reasons and it's not just one and it's it's and it's also very focused on like what's going on in the nation itself for instance she writes um an indian may be thrown out due to a clan rivalry or political infighting or when a tribe trims members to consolidate casino revenues or losing one's tribal enrollment often means losing jobs housing educational benefits social services and it also, and this is her quote, it also means grappling with the identity mindfuck of being told you're no longer an Indian in the eyes of the federal government. She cites a, peer, a Pew Research Center study that showed fully half of all U.S. adults claim a multiracial identity, saying they were white and American Indian. That's eight and a half million people. She talked to Tate Walker, who is the editor of Native People's Magazine, which, by the way, is an awesome magazine. Just want to throw that out there. Also, we should get that at the library. Yes, so we should. Let's we should. work on that. Okay. So Tate Walker, she's not only the editor of this Native People's Magazine, she's a writer and speaker for it, um, the magazine Everyday Feminism, the online site Everyday what, Feminism. What? She says about this Pew Research Center uh, study, she says, quote, I would love those eight and a half million people to be Native American, but there's another step to that, that you participate fully in the community that you're claiming. Disenrollment and claiming Native identity go hand in hand, and it's a problem, and it's complicated. So can I so, ask you a quick question? Yeah. Is this something that then is... Um, perpetuated and done within the community not outside of it so this is something within not acting upon right okay and if you think about how many about power i mean this makes sense we're not gonna we're not gonna romanticize a people so this is about power within right but how think and and the problem is think about how many non-native people claim indigenous identity and there's no way to validate that is there really no way to validate that well Okay, here's the thing. So anybody can say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm part Cherokee. Right. But (laughs) making a claim like that, but unless, like, think about it. If that community doesn't claim you back. Right. And if you don't participate in the cultural life of that community, 
you know, oh, so the, unless the, people are just making that claim for their own benefit, right? But I think there is also the the lack of maybe registry. Not I don't want to use that word. Well, but like, no, but, but like, lots of people like have been told. But a lot of people have been told that, right? Yes, through they their, have for their through their kind of familial cultural history. Mm-hmm. So like, so I, let's I talk about you know, let's talk about registration. All right, so because, help me understand because this. here's he, this is why the pr- problem is so complex because unless you know so federal recognition of a tribe yeah. is that's a thing that's what gives you the quote unquote <laughs> right. benefits so <laughs> when we're talking about things like it's called a cdib a certificate or degree of indian or alaska native blood card so it's actually a tribal oh enrollment God, card this, sound, this sounds like apartheid passports. and it's also the idea of being on uh, rolls right so if oh you God. if you're if your family you know 200 years ago agreed to be on the rolls right, right. then you are like you considered like you're actually like legitimately a member by of the federal tribe, government by the federal government right. so here's what i'm still looking at this splinter article by yeah. anna pulley and she says um these cards and these roles were introduced to indigenous people by the federal government to break up indian land so that settlers could use it and force tribal communities to assimilate into quote american culture right so it would be so it's it was bad to opt in right you can understand why nobody would, why people right. would be tenuous about that and there were and right that's a thing so there is no one overall overarching answer right. some native peoples did it some didn't some you know so there is so in other words like everything in indian country there is no simple clean answer okay like there's no, it's not just a simple yes or no except for the yes of course okay. they're still here so and she's like you know it's difficult to imagine like an italian american being asked to prove his or her identity through blood quantum or and what she says any of the other relentless ways indigenous peoples have been asked to prove who they are for the last hundreds of years and then i like this um quote that she writes she says ultimately disenrollment is a spurious issue because the reasons for doing so often go against the traditional ways native people have determined community, kinship, and belonging. The hashtag Stop Disenrollment campaign attempts to bring awareness to the sad irony of natives imposing the government's racial categories, which were created to oppress them, and using those same systems to disenfranchise their own people. Tate Walker says, it's the most colonial mindset I can grasp. This idea that native identity can be put on a certificate, almost like a dog breed. Okay, so I have... I have another question about this. Yep. So I'm thinking about like a college person applying to a college, right? And you have to like check the box of what you are. Mm-hmm. Who gets to check the box that they're Native American? Must you have some, must your family have some C, what is it? C-D-I-B? Yeah. Um, a certificate of, no. But so they, that's the problem. No. The answer is no. If, if, if eight and a half million Americans are checking the box that they're part American Indian, and there's clearly not eight and a half million sort of, we'll say, you know, members of federally recognized tribes. There's a problem with the system right. of determining right. who gets to be Native American. Right. Is it about... Get, is and it I put gets about, in quotes, right? Because right, that's is a complicated... More, is it more about family history or something? Because there are real consequences to claiming this identity, but not participating in the culture right. i like i like what tate walker said about you know the it's about the community that claims you back okay too so it's not just so a, a but it sounds like at the same time some communities are disenrolling they are because people have what been taking advantage mm-hmm. of the system yeah and my okay. my understand my understanding and anybody who knows more than me please correct me if i'm wrong but my understanding based on my reading and research is that only tribal governments have the right to enroll a member so you can claim anything you want, but unless that tribe, okay, in uh, you know, does the research and finds out through whatever means they have decided to determine who yeah. gets to be a member of their nation, unless they do that and give you the like, you know, check mark, yes, we accept you, then there is no anybody can make the claim. Right, so here, so it's, com- so it's complicated. So what do we do? It's complicated. What do we do then with somebody who says that? Do we just believe them? Because they're saying it. Because I know lots of problematic things and people that maybe have said those things to try to gain legitimacy in ways, you know, to kind of use that as a way to claim power. 
do I just, is it just like, okay, do I just like say, okay, because this person is saying it. I'm that's not going to be like, okay. And that seems that's like the smart thing to because do. Because I, because, and the thing, I've read these, these heartbreaking stories of um, Native peoples who they are absolutely participating in their cultures, their communities, their members of their nation, their every story they've told, every cultural practice they have, in addition to being modern people mm -hmm. in this world, they mm -hmm. are absolutely, you know, this particular indigenous identity, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Yeah. And simply because the federal government doesn't recognize them and their nation is maybe fighting for federal recognition mm -hmm. to prove mm -hmm. that they should be so that they can, it, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. So, I, I don't really want to weigh into the morass of the within each nation's, you know, the disenrollment problem and, right. and everything as much as I want to say, I have a lot of sympathy for people who say that they have based on um, family stories and knowledge and their own understanding and they, they've been told, it's not my job to tell them that they're wrong. Right. right. I, I have a lot of sympathy for... Um, these federally recognized tribes when they're trying to figure out right who 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 kind of it, it can what prove they're a member just remember the federal government created this problem right that's what i was just about hundreds to say. of years right. ago so if and now they're having to clean up the mess the right. tribes are having to clean up so the mess i actually have a lot of sympathy on all sides of this issue but yeah. i just feel for me when i have a student in my class who self-identifies after half the semester like oh you know my 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 my, my grandma always said my that grandmother we were part, yeah. always told me a yes, story about exactly. you know her Cherokee heritage or her Chickasaw you know uh, you know being on the farm or whatever. I never tell that student, well, can you prove it? Right, and I never right. say, well, and that's I not don't believe you. Right, right, right. I don't think that's not my job, no, and, nor and mine. Unfortunately, yeah. I kind of don't think it's the like the tribal nation. Again, this problem exists because of our federal government made a, a decision. structural problem that they have created, right? And it's so incredibly unfair to all of the people who actually are indigenous in our land. It's incredibly unfair. There's no clean answer. Okay, so I think what we've just realized is that we have we have a lot more than just a single table talks worth of discussion here with these six questions. So we're going to, we're going to stop this table talk at these three questions and we will pick up with, so this will be part one. So we will pick up with part two. We'll do a second myth busting episode on the second set of three questions. And I just want to end by, by recommending some resources to, use yourself to educate yourself about who native peoples are today and the dynamic uh, thriving communities and stories and scholarship and you know political aspirations and everything that they have there are three places you can go i would definitely you've heard us talk about this before go visit the national museum of the american indian or at the very least visit their website they have an amazing amount of resources and if you're a teacher check out native take 360 your students and take your students and there's two locations right there's one in new york city and there's one in dc right. so if you're on the east coast it's more possible but there are also great work great work yes. being done on the west coast and museums as well that yeah. i've witnessed and also read, start following, and then read regularly Indian Country Today Media Network. They're on Twitter. They're on all the Which social media. Which came back. It came back. It they was going to go away, and yeah. then it came somebody, back. I was so happy. Somebody took it over. Yes, it was great. Thank and, you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So they... Um, they found a way to to, to so come back. Yeah. Because so. we must support and help these groups sustain their work. And listen. So these are the voices that we need to listen Absolutely. to. These are the voices I try to listen to and amplify, which is why we're doing this. Um, and finally, the book 100 Questions, 500 Nations, compiled and written by Native American Journalists Association. It's $10 on Amazon. And it is, it is a very brief guide to cultural competence. And it deals with, well, 100 questions. I need to buy that. Yeah. <laughs> so those are some three resources that will get you started. And then we will get back to part two of myth busting about Native Americans. In a few weeks. Yes. Like what you're hearing? Become a patron of our podcast and help us be sustainable. Click that little green become a patron button on our Podbean page and it'll get you started. But here's the cool news. There are three different patron levels that you can participate in to show your love and support of our hard work for you. 
A monthly commitment of just $1, which is less than the cost of a cup of coffee, gets you a large, cool, square sticker for your computer with our freshly designed logo, and you can share the love. For $5 a month, you get two stickers, a shout-out on Facebook and on the podcast, plus our newest patron level of $8 a month. You'll get all the love and swag of the $1 and $5 levels, but also early access to every episode and expert extra. So join our patron team at this $8 a month level and be in the know before everyone else. All of your donations are greeted with our deepest gratitude. Thanks for keeping us sustainable. Time for... Trumpster Fire! Amanda. Yes. We have to talk about the way Donald Trump uses Pocahontas and the ways he talks about indigenous peoples only in the form of slurs. Mm -hmm. So I know you have... I agree. Yes. (laughs) I know you have one of his direct quotes Mm -hmm, that that he shows his need to listen to our table talk it becomes very obvious so tell us some one of the things that he has said okay so i found this in an an article on indian country today media network um it's a piece titled what does an indian look like written by harlan Mikasato, I hope I pronounced that right, who is a citizen of the Sock and Fox Nation and the director of NDN Productions. So he wrote this piece and he starts his piece this way, quote, they don't look like Indians to me and they don't look like Indians to other Indians. This was a statement by Donald Trump at a congressional hearing on Capitol Hill concerning Indian gaming. That was in the 90s, I think. This is not as recent, but this is going to show the long trajectory of the problem. So Mikasato goes on. He went on to say, quote, this is Trump. This is Trump saying this now. I think I might have more Indian blood than a lot of so-called Indians that are trying to open up the reservations, he said in an interview with Don Imus. And he was referring to the tribal people in Connecticut who were cutting into his own casino profits. Right. So, yes, Donald Trump has a long history of um, slurring. Uh, native peoples and in that case it was um, all about his own profits and competing for casino money so if we fast forward today we we see we see this problem in the ways i'm thinking specifically about how he talks about elizabeth warren and i don't i mean i don't know if elizabeth warren is native american nor do i I. know she says she is Mm -hmm. and based on the conversation we just had i am not going to make judgment on that that's for the communities to make judgment and they However, are and they are and the communities uh, are they do have things to say so if you're interested whether look at the, whether the native communities how they feel about it i would absolutely encourage you to do a little bit of researching and googling and go read about it from their perspective but what these few minutes are about is yeah. about this rhetorical gesture that donald trump continues to make where mm-hmm. he calls her pocahontas mm-hmm. now can you just explain to us why that I mean, this is the the sitting president, right? This isn't mm-hmm. some dodo sitting in an office somewhere writing a tweet. This is the person who's leading the free world. So why is it problematic when we watch the 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 head of state use what we know is being used as a racial slur? Can you just walk us through the again problematize that for us? He's using uh, an actual indigenous historical real person but he's using the name pocahontas not in the way that the actual real person was here and what her real story was but he's using it as a slur in the more americanized concept of what we think of as pocahontas so what are those two are are you able can you can just talk about the americanized version like what okay. do you think that is the Pocahontas? Like what? Right. What? So the, what is mm-hmm. the what is the, the the racialized slur use of the image of Pocahontas that's well, think distracted the, oh, from the yeah. real story? Think about uh, the 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 quickest way I can get you to visualize this is Disney's animated Pocahontas. Okay, so talk us through. So Disney's animated Pocahontas. It's this beautiful young woman, not a child. <laughs> Um, who has long flowing um, black hair, who is just gorgeous, scantily clad. And that leads us into 
um, Halloween costumes called Pocahati, and those costumes have like the black, long black hair wig with a feather band or a bone choker, and um, you know, fringe, mm-hmm. very skimpy fringe, um, sort of suede-like um, attire that barely covers, you know, all your bits. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's this sexualization okay. of uh, Native women through the Americanized, misappropriated, um, misunderstood, uh, frankly false image of Pocahontas. So there's this essentialized vision of Pocahontas that's sexualized, but yes. that's not what Donald Trump is tapping into. No. So Pocahontas, the the story is is obviously well, this site of a lot of contestation and essentialization. So there's that's the one. Yeah. So what's he doing when he uses this term? He's insulting her. First of all, he doesn't think that she's Native American. Elizabeth so he's Warren. yeah. So he's okay. rendering a judgment in that right. in that insult, and you know by calling her Pocahontas, I mean he's basically mocking right Native peoples right. Because so if she is a liar, is, yeah, he's calling but her he's a liar. But he's using a Native American historical figure a real to call person, her a liar. a liar, right? And it's so it's complicated. He's doing a lot of things. Basically, he's he's insulting her. He's trying to diminish her, and he's at the same time <laughs> diminishing Native people's real existence. So he's contributing to the erasure. All right. So he does this on Twitter. Yeah. And then he does it in front of the Navajo Code Talkers, which yeah. we talked a little bit about. But why does that site of use, why does that audience and that room with the photo of Andrew or the portrait of Andrew, Andrew Jackson, Jackson behind him, why does that then just magnify the problem of Pocahontas when it comes out of Donald Trump's mouth? Well, it's and I know this is simplistic for you, but to help us all understand. Well, it's the idea that he's using Pocahontas as a racial slur and he's doing it in front of Navajo code talkers. He has no shame. I know that. But there are some people who see no problem with this. They just think it's funny. So why is it funny? Tell me why it's not funny. Because you and I know it isn't funny. We gasp. Right? But I think I think because she is a real person, they the the, they think it's just like tongue in cheek as opposed Mm -hmm. to racialized slur. And so you and I know that rhetorically he's not doing it because he thinks Pocahontas was a great person. No. Because I know that generally in the GOP, they're very dismissive of Elizabeth Warren because they don't think she's telling the truth. Right. So is there some strange connection to this that we aren't, that there is, that there, because if Pocahontas we, can really we circle back exist, to your, can we circle back yeah. to, he he's doubting the existence of so many Native Americans as it is. And so That's he's, the const- he's constantly questioning the existence and identity of these people. Right. And it seems like he, what he's doing is this like erasure That's of what, history as well. When right. he calls her Pocahontas, he's he's erasing the actual history of Pocahontas, mm-hmm. just like Disney does, you know. Yep. But he's doing it to advance political favor. And so it's very strange. It's just like such a loaded term that I think a lot of people are throwing off. And I think we really do need to think about deeply the traje- the trajectory of his attitudes about Native American peoples, and then these moments, these like specific moments where he feels like it's completely appropriate to use a Native American woman as um, as an insult. Here's why it's here's why here's why it's really a problem. It's about questioning Native American identity. Yes, right. So I agree with you. That is not his right right i don't care who he is it's right. not my right either that's no. what that's my point in the table talk it's not my right to say to a student well i don't believe you and it's not his right to use an actual historical figure who he's who's he's erasing the reality of in order to replace it with this 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 americanized insulting version right of, of an Pocahontas, actual person of an actual person to insult a political opponent he's it's your that's I keep coming back to erasure. It's about erasing yeah. identity. Yes. And he doesn't have the right to do that. He doesn't have the right to question Elizabeth Warren about her family's 
heritage or identity. And her family's story. And right? her family's story. She's one story. of those examples who has said, like, well, I was told this. Right. So if the community that she is claiming does not claim her back, that is a different right. situation. Right. He, as the president, as a white man who is trying to gain political points which is so crass. Or in the case of the congressional hearing, trying to gain economic, you know, favor. Yeah, trying to gain, you know, trying to gain economically. Right, space. Over, yeah. dis, over diminishing who people say they are instead of just believing them. And then, right, in the idea of having a community claim you, letting that all play out, he is using it as a, as a political tool to gain points with his audience. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's unsettling. It's about questioning people's identity. So he's not just questioning Elizabeth Warren's identity. He's questioning, I don't know, Pocahontas' identity. I think he's questioning the identity of indigeneity. (laughs) Right. About, is there, right. So it's almost like he's rolling his eyes and laughing off the whole idea of indigeneity when he does that in front of Congress. And when he does this, I think this is a long line of erasure that I wanted us to bring about. Are you really Native American? Like, I could just see him being like, there's no such thing as a Native American. Exactly. Right. And in fact, I'll take it one step further. I actually had somebody in grad school when I was in grad school say this to me well I'm a Native American I was born here so I feel like I feel like Donald Trump is in that class of people who claim I am a Native American because I was born here rather than acknowledging and honoring the fact that there are indigenous peoples who were here thousands of years before European colonized this 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 land and there I feel like that's where he is okay. so if you if you good. if you use that as a lens through which to view all of his slurs all of his claims all of his passive aggressive thrown away comments about things like Pocahontas or well they don't even look native or in Indian or whatever he says it's it's about erasing their identities again and again and again because he's constantly questioning through these pokes so and I think we should do this on a completely other episode but we want to remember like erasure in you know the schools like schools in Carlisle Mm -hmm. that, that erasure linguistically that we're watching him do is really important it's not a throwaway moment like that erasure of every element of indigenous life this is just another example of it so we that's why people erasure is one of the prime components of colonization exactly of colonialism exactly in order for col- colonialism to work these people must be erased. Right. And so what we do is diminish, right? right? We diminish history or we diminish identity. And these little diminishments, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. Right. Like these little diminishments chip away. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they, they, or in this case, I think they don't chip away. I think they reify or replicate already believed notions about Native identities. So... We, it's not a throwaway, nope. and it's and it's a slur, it's and it's part problematic. of a long trajectory. Yes. There's a long trajectory, a long history in this country of Americans, non-native, usually white settlers, who say these things, do these things. Whether it's physical genocide, cultural genocide, language genocide, whatever it is, it's about erasure. It's about diminishment. It's about um, degradation. It's about not believing. Um, in order to put ourselves on the land and replace these people, that that hasn't stopped. And but but now maybe we don't, we're not seeing um, indigenous peoples, you know, pushed onto reservations. But now we see it in this kind of language, and we see it all the time. And the thing is, the effect is. So our listeners might hear that things like that, and again and again, you see it in schools and your language and the things that aren't talked about. Right? We talked about what's in the what's in the absence, what's in the silence. Indigenous peoples are not focused on in schools. Right. So because of that silence, that adds to it too. It's it's all like it's all. What do we what do we hear about in school? Pocahontas. Right. That's it. So everybody gets that cultural reference. So when he makes yeah. that cultural reference, everybody knows who he's they talking about. To it. Yeah. But they don't have anything else. There's right. there's no right. there's no narrative. corrective exactly. <laughs> there's no corrective narrative. Well, I think that that was good that we talked about that. Yeah. And when you hear. Um, our president doing that, just remind your newsfeed that this is a problem, that calling somebody Pocahontas, other than 
fucking Pocahontas herself. Like, <laughs> just stop. Just stop. I mean, just call her a liar if that's what you want right. to call Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. But um, the the questioning of identity is something that indigenous peoples don't need to see the the leader of their their forced upon the country that has been foisted upon them um, doing to them. Hey, listeners, remember, we're running a contest right now. Deadline is April 30th. Take a selfie with a statue and then share it on Instagram and tag us at Inside254. And you will get one of our big square logo stickers. And everyone who does this will be registered to win a copy of Louise Erdrich's The Roundhouse, which we have recommended on a recent episode. It's a fantastic novel. Take a selfie today. Tag us. And we'll see you on Instagram. We dedicate ourselves to collective resistance. Resistance to the billionaire mortgage profiteers and gentrifiers. Resistance to the healthcare privateers. As I have said, and as I believe, The advancement of the full participation of women and girls in every aspect of their societies is the great unfinished business of the 21st century. And not just for women, but for everyone. And not just in far away countries, but right here in the United States. Thank you for understanding that sometimes we must put our bodies where our beliefs are. Sometimes pressing send is not enough. (laughs) If if we want to give all of our children a foundation for their dreams and opportunities worthy of their promise, if if we want to give them that sense of limitless possibility, That belief that here in America, there is always something better out there if you're willing to work for it. Then we must work like never before. This episode's Fierce Woman Warrior is... Liza Dramusis. Liza Dramusis is the author of Altitude Sickness, an essayist for the Washington Post, and has recently gained additional attention for her bravery in sharing her hashtag MeToo story about famous indigenous author Sherman Alexie. This brave Greek-American woman, who was born and raised in Seattle, shared her story on Twitter, which resulted in many more women finding the courage to speak up as well, launching the truth about Alexie into the harshness of the light from its years-long hiding place in the whisper networks among both Native and non-Native women writers and academics. Litza's courageous public action helped her community of women, and especially women writers, and she coordinated with NPR for free to help those other women find a place to share their own Alexi stories. Litza is no stranger to advocacy. She was a domestic violence victim advocate for the King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office in the 1990s. When I contacted her, she shared this, quote, I know from training and experience that men like Alexi must be confronted head on, end quote. We thank you, Litza, for your courage, your voice, and your tangible action to help other women. You are most definitely a fierce woman warrior. Let's take a time out for a Media Minute. I want to encourage you to read two books that will help you connect with contemporary indigenous lives. One by a well-known Ashinaabe writer, the other by a new First Nations voice from Seabird Island Band. First, pick up Louise Erdrich's The Roundhouse, winner of the National Book Award in 2012. This novel, just like it did for me, will help readers understand the material importance of serenity on the lives of women. A contemporary story of sexual assault and tribal justice, readers will leave the roundhouse with a deeper sense of issues facing women living on reservations today. My second recommendation is Therese Marie Mayotte's memoir, Heartberries, a story too relatable to many of its readers focusing on abuse, 
trauma, and the aftershocks of both. The memoir also explicitly connects the gendered indigenous experience of the past to the lives being lived today by women. The New York Times Review calls the book a, quote, sledgehammer, and I tend to agree. Heartberries will leave the reader wanting more of Mayotte's writing, and I look forward to seeing what her strong voice will bring forth into the world next. Let's end today's podcast with some activist actions. Play a video game created by an indigenous woman game designer. If you listened to episode 30, you'll remember that Elizabeth La Ponce was our fierce woman warrior that week. She is an award-winning Anishinaabe and Métis game designer, and we want you to play her latest creation, Thunderbird Strike, a 2D side-scroller where you are a lightning-searing thunderbird destroying oil pipeline snakes, vehicles, and construction sites that, quote, threaten to swallow the land and waters whole. You can also use the thunder that recharges as you fly around to restore the local wolf, caribou, and buffalo populations. In her interview with Motherboard, La Ponce says, quote, the game doesn't judge you, and it's impossible to lose. Rather, quote, players can experience it however they want. The game's story, quote, symbolizes the effects of colonialism and human greed. Visit thunderbirdstrike.com or the Apple or Google Play stores to download this game for free on your computer or your phone. The game is rated E for everyone. Thanks for spending time with us inside 254. You can find us a lot of places online. On Facebook, we're at Inside 254 Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Inside 254 Pod. On Instagram, we are at Inside 254. And on WordPress, where we post links and places that you can go to donate or learn more about our activist actions, we're at Inside254Site, S-I-T-E dot WordPress.com. You can find our free episodes on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play Music, and you can also just Google us. There are two things you can do to help us build audience today. You can go onto Facebook, click one of those stars, and leave a comment as feedback, And then you can go to your listening platform and rate us on there as well. By doing those two things, that's going to get our word out and help us build our audience. Thank you for helping us grow.